Hey everyone, welcome back to the Invincible Innovation Podcast, the podcast for change makers and innovators shaping the future of our world. I'm your host, Adima Zolkario, product design and AI expert. And in this episode, we sit down with an AI developer to dive into the world of generative AI, exploring its potential to revolutionize software development and uncover valuable insights for developers looking to harness its powers. Join us as we uncover the possibilities and challenges of this emerging technology. And I have a very special guest. Hi, Shabi. Hello, hello. It's a pleasure being here again. Yeah, I'm so happy to see you again. So we had already have a talk with Shabi when we met in Amsterdam in the GDE program. And, and uh, afterwards, I'll tell some things about uh, the way that we, we know each other, but the uh, Xavier, Xavier uh, Portilla-Edo is the head of cloud infrastructure VoiceFlow, and we know each other from uh, the Google programs and we met in the, in, the, in the past, and it's always a pleasure talking to you. So uh, other than the fact that he knows so much, he's such a great guy, so it's always a pleasure talking to him. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and we're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook, and you're so invited to join the discussion and ask questions, and now we can start. Before we start to go into the details, just say, what is generative AI and how is it changing the landscape of software development? So generative AI is refers to a class of, you know, like artificial intelligence that is designed uh, to generate content, uh, simulate human-like behavior or create new, new data. It's basically, uh, you are gonna prepare like a prompt or you are gonna specify what you want and then the those genetic AI models are gonna generate uh, whatever you want. Like for instance, um, classic uh, chat GPT or Gemini uh, thing, like you, it, that it's text generation, um, you are gonna specify, I don't know, like write uh, like a, essay for example and then it will generate an essay with all the things that you have mentioned if you specify or if you are talking for instance with mid-journey uh, you are gonna create a prompt that it will generate uh, an image and for instance like the last thing that has been released uh, last week which is Sora from OpenAI. Well, I think that's OpenAI research. That's not public yet, but you are gonna create a prompt and it will generate a super realistic video. And in terms of software development, like it is it is changing the, the landscape by automating certain aspects of the of the development process, such as like code generation, design creation, and and assisting in, in problem solving. Like yeah, it's yeah. It's yeah. yeah so, so we're saying that it's uh, the prompt is like the request. It's like a sentence, and it's cre it's creating from this uh, request either a text or a code or an image or a video, uh, as you mentioned. So as as a coder, I'm usually writing text, which is a code actually. And now ChatGPT or Gemini, whoever, could write the code for me. It means that they don't need developers anymore. Where is the place that they are needed? They they are needed. There's there's one important thing. Like I mean, even like there are like really good tools out there in terms of like software development, software development like Duet AI or like uh, Copilot, GitHub Copilot, uh, that are generating a really 
great source code and there are also another tools that are you know like um analyzing uh, the code like the prompt itself uh, it's like hey this is my code i try to find uh issues or vulnerabilities or or just uh, like i don't know like test my code in terms of not um running the code in terms of just evaluating the code there are good tools out there but they are not as at the very end they are not as good as as humans of course they will find some st stuff that you will not find because you know you are like super obfuscated in your code and and or probably there are like there, there's some specific things that you don't know as a as a developer like i don't know like a, a rule or an injection problem or something like that that the ai or the developer tools can help you with that and 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 say you know like hey heads up here you have an issue and 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 you will you know you you will know that but they will not replace uh, humans or, or uh, developers. They are really good um, co-workers or teammates, you know, like uh, working with these tools, it will enhance your source code by, by a lot. That's 100%, but they will not replace humans, at least for now. Yeah. So, so what we're saying, it's only like the basics of the coding, but the high level logic or infrastructure or the um, way that the code is built is more complex than uh, just taking part of what you get in GitHub and, and getting it into the code. Exactly. And, and another important thing is the context itself. Like, and, and as you said, like, for instance, the, infra the infrastructure could be a context, like, Let's say that you're writing a code, a Python code, and um, that code is going to be deployed on, let's say, AWS Lambda. Um, the Copilot, for instance, does not know that it's going to be deployed on AWS Lambda. And for instance, it could be that for AWS Lambda, you will need some specific stuff, you know, and that's part of the context. Or if we are talking about the organization itself, like, you know, like each organization has its, uh, like it, its own like naming uh, conventions, like, you know, like patterns and all that stuff, like the AI, like that is super hard to understand or to get. You know, like, and that's part of the context. So that's why the human uh, part of thing in this case is also important. I see. So, so what developers must know about AI? So the developers should have like a fundamental understanding of uh, machine learning and deep learning concepts. I think right now, like in the past, you know, like a developer should know about Git, about programming, you know, like what is a for loop, what is a, a while loop, uh, if, else, sentence, these kind of things. But right now, I think AI and machine learning, uh, they should have like very, you know, like learn at least the basics. Uh, and also, you know, like uh, have like knowledge about various AI algorithms and, and frameworks because they should also be aware of 
the ethical considerations, data privacy issues, and and the potential biases in AI models, at least if they are using these kind of tools. Because you know, like what I've seen in the past, it's like people uh, not not write like copy based in a, a code that has been generated by an AI and just click on run. Not only that, but like just copy pasting these kind of things without understanding first um, what is the code generated? Is the code generated uh, like is something that makes sense? Is this safe to be executed? Um, imagine that I'm using uh, GPT or Gemini. Is though are those models? Uh, how are those models being trained? Like how you know like why is why i'm having these outputs or in terms of like the prompt that i use to generate this code is this correct i am specifying what i want properly so yeah it's something that the developers must know and and for instance in ChatGPT, there's a like small wording uh, at the bottom that tells you um be careful because uh, this is an auto-generated response that can be uh, not fully true or, or or could be even false. So the developers have to have that on mind, you know, uh, every every single time. So other than knowing code really well and finding if this is the right code, that they got the right answer, if it's structured well and it, it has no vulnerabilities and it's, it's even risky. Other than that, the fact that I know how to ask the question or the prompt is important in order to get the right results. Or you're saying, because we're going to develop so much AI features and AI-related uh, products, we need to understand that even further. Yeah, like both things. Like uh, you have to, you have to understand every single output, and you have to understand as well, like what you are requesting. You know, like because if you are requesting something that you don't even understand, the output is gonna be like, you know, like okay, whatever. But you have to make sure that every single output, or at least every single line that is in that output, you understand it and you can safely use it or not just using it, like modify in the way uh, that works in your source code. It's like, for instance, when you are searching for a problem on Stack Overflow, uh, you will see like a lot of, um, a lot of like, piece of codes, you know, like uh, uh, little blocks with possible solutions, like, hey, I solved this by doing this, I solved this by doing that. But you have to understand, like, how to extract the main idea of that and put that in your source code, you know? Mm -hmm. And do you think that they need to even understand data science, data engineering, because they're going to integrate these kinds of capabilities within their product? No, I mean, that's not like a requirement, but it is important to know the the model that you are using, you know, like it is important to know that you are using Gemini and Gemini, for instance, is good at uh, creating this kind of code or you are using GPT-4 and GPT-4 is good at Python, for example, 
that's that's the most important thing and and also to understand like uh like the common issues depending on the model that you are using you know that is that is important the yeah. knowing data science or all these kind of things of course is not like easy it is not required but knowing what is what are what you are interacting with that is important so how do they um, close this gap? I'm currently a Python developer. I know what to do here. Uh, I'm not, let's say I'm not very senior. I'm just beginning. How do I work with these kinds of tools other than being a senior, understanding exactly how the code needs to be, and then it's either writing it yourself or, or just browsing someone. Uh, I, I, yeah, uh, that is going to be like basically trying it out. Uh, for instance, you can uh, like enable Copilot. If you are using Visual Studio Code, you can enable Copilot on your Visual Studio Code and and see like how that works in terms of uh, Python code. Like try that in a Python project or or in a Golan project or in a Java project and see how that goes. And also in different like not only de depending on the on the language like in the if you are generating or or building like documentation like see if that is good for documentation and then switch you can switch to another model like you can also enable duet ai or gemini in your visual studio code you have to turn off copilot and then see how that goes and uh, and and check exactly the same like python golang java um documentation and and you're like trying to understand of course of course you can read and you can search on the on the internet you know about like which one is better for but the most important thing here is to try it out there there are also another visual studio code plugins that allows you to connect to your um to your like own LLMs, let's say that you have deployed on your on your end like uh, version of Gemma or uh, Llama or any fine tune, because there are large language models that are uh, that are being fine tuned. For instance, I saw uh, on Twitter a lot of large language models that are like instead of using, for instance, directly GPT-4 or Gemini, they are getting a uh, Lama 2 or Gemma and they are fine tuning for a specific language. Uh, yeah. so, so these are like open source and and the open AI and Gemini are, are third parties that you're using. Exactly. Exactly. In both cases you need to understand the the input and output structure for the, the model. And, exactly. and, and what you're saying you need to try it out. It's not enough just to copy paste it because in many cases it will not work or it will not work the way that you want it to be. Exactly. So, so do you think that, that some of the developers need to learn new capabilities in order to work or even study new? I, I know that um, most of developers, they know how to teach themselves. They go to YouTube, they are going to blogs and they read whatever they need. But do you think it's a different capacity this time? Uh, the 
I would say yes, because I think the, the the paradigm here is different. We are not talking about like um, classic uh, programming languages paradigm. We are talking here about a, a whole new thing, which is generative AI and apply as software development, which is basically you are going to have a copilot, a teammate that is going to help you in so many ways. So you have to uh, like at least learn, uh, you know, what is a large language model? How are these outputs being generated? Like for instance, like what is uh, libraries that are used for these things like like Langchain, uh, you know, like uh, how can I fine tune a large language model? Of course, that could be optional, but it, that is also good because if you want to improve uh, um, the information uh, of a large language model, uh, like learning about fine tuning, that is also uh, important. Uh, retrieval augmented generation, that is also important. You know, like uh, what is RAC, uh, how they, or what is the context that is being used for a large language model while I am developing? Because, for instance, when you have enabled Copilot, you have to know that the context that has that that is being in use is the the windows that you have open so for instance if imagine that you have like nine windows and for your current problem uh of the active window the other eight are uh, the other eight windows are uh, not important probably the output that you are gonna have is gonna be less less accurate you know so mm -hmm. Kind of things are things that you have to know. I see. So, what are some challenges and limitations using generative AI in development? Uh, I mean, the challenges, as I said, are include like potential biases in generative content, uh, lack of creativity uh, compared to humans, and the need of you know like large data sets, and also uh, limitations include. Uh, difficulty in handling complex real world scenarios and potential security concerns like you can uh, get generated code that could have like a leak for example and you don't even notice that and or when you have like a really complex problem the um, the llm or the the output or i'm not can is not gonna be able to solve this kind of you know like really complex uh, uh, yeah. issues you know you mentioned the security leaks which is not unintentional but in some cases when you take parts of of the code from the outside and you take it into your code uh, it could have vulnerabilities and even intentional harm within the code itself exactly Exactly. You understand that. Exactly, because um, for instance, Copilot, uh, um, that is like the data set that that has been used to, you know, like for for Copilot is basically uh, the entire GitHub, and all not not all the GitHub is written nicely. It's not like perfect. There are like vulnerabilities out there. Uh, like for instance, when you are like typing a copilot and you are saying, for instance, something like uh, a string 
password equals and then Copilot is generating a password for you. That means that someone on GitHub has a password, you know, and that's why Copilot knows that pattern, you know. So that's important to know. Yeah, but how is it different than me going to GitHub, taking um, a code, a, a block, and then integrating it? If I'm doing it manually, do I have more control? It's the same risk, no? It's, it's, the, same, it's the same risk, but you have to be aware of that, you know, like, I mean, as, as you mentioned, like, it's could be the same, you know, because you can just copy paste that piece of log that you found on GitHub and that piece of uh, of code can have vulnerabilities as well. That, that, that's true. That's true. But yeah. you have to learn that the code that is being generated is not 100% perfect, you know, like, um, and, and uh, I know, like, could be better, could be worse, but, you know, like, you have to check at least. Yeah. In the line. Yeah, so, so till now we talked about generative AI as a tool for development, for writing code. Now I want to talk about using a, your knowledge in development in order to write features, capabilities, or product based on models. It could be um, third party, like Gemini and OpenAI and Claude, or open source. So what developers need to know, I guess you will have more and more of these cases integrating AI capabilities within your product? So for that, uh, uh, even like if you're using uh, a, like a third parties or an open source, uh, for instance, the open source, you can deploy those on your own if you have like the, the powerful computer, uh, but you can also deploy them on on Google Vertex or, for instance, on uh, Amazon Bedrock, just wow. with one, uh, yeah, in the cloud. Uh, just with with one click, you can go there, select the the model that you want to run, and and deploy them. And not only that, for instance, with I think it's Gemma uh, or Gemini Nano. Yeah, I think Gemini Nano, uh, those can be executed in a mobile phone. So that's also really, really cool. Of course, the capabilities are uh, like very tight to the size of that LLM, but you know, like can be run in a, in a phone. So like that's the main thing, like which LLM uh, I want to use it. And once you have decided those LLMs and you want to build like generative AI tools, uh, I think the developers should be familiar with popular AI frameworks. Like for instance, uh, Langchain, if you are going to build uh, like text uh, generated uh, tools, uh, like chat apps or or, you know, like, yeah, everything related to text, I would recommend to use Langchain, TensorFlow, PyTorch, um, and then tools for uh, like natural language processing, like SpaceI, NLTK, and then everything related to AI, like OpenAI itself, Google Vertex AI. Because on Google Vertex AI, you have like Model Garden, uh, where you can play and build whatever you want, uh, like fine tune uh, your 
your LLMs, you can create a data stores and, and, and connect that with an LLM and create your uh, retrieve augmented generation platform in um, on AWS, Amazon, you have uh, Amazon Bedrock, uh, you have uh, Party Rock as well, which is a no-code tool where you can build uh, um, a lot of uh, generative AI applications. That is really, really cool. I highly recommend to start with something like that with, with Party Rock and also uh, with OpenAI, you can create uh, your custom GPTs, you can create uh, those, the functions that can be called uh, from a LLM, so these kind of things. And yeah, like uh, you will need to understand cloud computing services and also version control. I think that's also crucial because when, when we are talking about generative AI, in terms of development, uh, when you are when you want to build something uh, using an LLM, I think not all the people knows about the compute cost cost of it. Like because uh, when you are using uh, the GPT-4 or Gemini, that's an an API that you can call and that's it. But those models are already deployed but what happens when you need like a really specific scenario uh, that you have to fine-tune a model or when you have to create your own a uh, retrieve augmented uh, generation use case like how can i build this you know how can i create these kind of things those are like quite complex scenarios and you have to understand the everything related to cloud computing how much it costs uh, per month just to not to have surprises because those things are not cheap you know right right and you need gpus and you need a very powerful computing and you need to calculate uh, the size of the model how complex it is and how many calls would you have how many interactions would you have how long would it be the output the input because you're paying per uh, token or per the the numbers uh, the number of words it's like tokens so you need to calculate that right now people think okay it's like uh, just uh, uh, talking to uh, open ai and calling it each time more or less they could calculate in the case that they're building their own uh, model or using an open source model and, and based on that training could cost a lot takes a lot of time, lots of data need to go and calculations in the model. So uh, um, what you're talking about cost is, is something that um, I think most people are, are less aware of. Exactly. Because it's very different than normal cost of just deploying a server somewhere in, in AWS and that's it. It's much more expensive. Yes, yes, exactly. And I know that uh, like, Gemini and OpenAI, like they have democratized the AI to everyone because, uh, you know, also the APIs that they are exposing are like really, really, really easy to use. That's why uh, the generative AI uh, paradigm has been you know, like explode because the, the APIs, I mean, like if, even if you are like at in the in the first year of your grade you will be able to build something with genetic ai that's 100 percent uh but even like all the people can access an api that doesn't mean that the compute under the hood is 
not something volatile, you know, it's there and, and it has uh, some cost, you know. Yeah, it's one of the things that uh, I'm currently, I've, I've already created a course for a launching generative AI product from the business side, not from the technology. And one of the things that was raised is the business model, the cost, the pricing. It's very important in these kinds of uh, capabilities and generative AI has lots of capabilities, but you need to understand what's the value and how do you price it. And exactly, it. exactly. That's a good point, especially when you are building a Gen AI product, uh, you have to, when you are like building or creating your pricing model, you have to take into consideration like, okay, if let's say that uh, I have like a, a start or like a enterprise a, a tier that is like 100 bucks, for example, you have to know or you can do two things. Uh, the NAI usage uh, added to to that base of 100 or include that uh, there. And when, for instance, like specifying a quota, and then when you uh, when you get to the quota limit, then people cannot use the, um, the right. tool, or they need to pay more to increase that quota, or these kind of things, because. Yeah, it, things can be go like super crazy, and 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 that's that's a really good point. Yeah, because most most people when they price their product, it's a fixed price monthly or yearly, whatever. Exactly. But the usage is based on usage. How long is the output? How long is the input? And this is the price that you're paying for the models or for the computing powers or for OpenAI, ChatGPT, or or Gemini, whatever. And you need to calculate the gap. And in some cases, you could lose money because people are going to use it more than what they paid for. Yes. And this is what is happening right now with GitHub, with a Copilot. Copilot is, in some cases, they're they're losing money. It's like twenty dollars a month for the, I think, for the basic. And yes. in some cases, uh, people are using eighty dollars. And currently, uh, this is what happens right now. And, and you know, they're just beginning. They want everyone to use it, and then they capture the audience, and they have more users, and then they could uh, change it. But this is what happens right now. And one more thing that they all hope for, and this is why Nvidia is so successful right now, that the uh, chips will be faster, and then they could use it in a better way, and then the price will go down. This is what they hope for. Uh, we, we all hope for it will be less extensive. I mean, there, there's going to be like uh, big improvements. That's 100%. And, and I know that NVIDIA and all the, the chips and, you know, like uh, micros um, related companies are working on that. But, you know, there's we will need to wait. I'll, I'll, uh, a little bit until we see the the, the final uh, outcome of those companies. I see. So what skills do developers need in order to excel in building generative AI solutions and using these kinds of powers? Uh, I mean, I think skills include like proficiency in programming languages, you know, like a deep understanding of machine learning algorithms, domain-specific knowledge, and the ability to work with uh, large data sets. And then communication and collaboration skills are also essentials, you know, for, for every single 
uh, interdisciplinary teamwork. But for for these kind of things, I think at least ML uh, domain specific knowledge, how uh, an LLM works, how are uh, yeah like the redevelopment generation works, like how all these things work. Uh, I think that's like basic for every single uh, Gen AI builder, I would say. Mm -hmm. So so the first skill that we already talked about is the option to teach yourself things and go in and look further and look for more data and more information and knowledge and learn. And, and from what I know about developers, most of them, the good ones for sure, this is what they're doing. They're always learning and growing and and they're very enthusiastic about what they do, developers, in many cases, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and that's something like, because uh, right now uh, with internet, like you can just search whatever you want to learn and it's going to be like a free uh, YouTube, uh, you know, like video or a free YouTube course or, you know, like, or, or you can go to Coursera and just, you know, like see or search for something that you that will cost you, I don't know, like 20 bucks and that's it, you know? So I think it's like self-learning, it's very, very, very important. And also trying to be, uh, or to learn like the, the cutting edge technology, also like read the latest news, for instance, like uh, reading, I don't know, like pages like InfoQ, uh, like, TechCrunch, like uh, this own, this kind of, you know, like um, online websites that you can have like free content, uh, up-to-date um, information, and then like studies from other big companies. And that's really, really important. So I'm just wondering, you know, you're working in VoiceFlow for a few years, right? Like two years, something like that? Yeah, three years. Three years. So. You started working there, and then OpenAI came, and ChatGPT went out, right? So how did you change what you're doing? What was this change for you when ChatGPT came? So also, just tell us a bit about the company. It's related to what we're talking about, right? Ex exactly. So um, it was a massive change. Like, we were creating, you know, like, assistance chatbots in... Right now, I would say in a classic way, which is using like natural language understanding, you know, like those intense utterances, triggering flows and all that stuff. And right now, thanks to ChatGPT, thanks to the LLMs, we have introduced a bunch of generative AI capabilities. For instance, uh, we have added a, a knowledge base, which is we are doing or we are exposing a node code tool to execute retrieve fragmented generative uh, actions, just going to voice flow, going to knowledge base and uploading your documents that will store all the information into vector databases and you have to not to deal with any infrastructure with nothing. It's just uh, like a few clicks. And then uh, for instance, with the intents and the entities, uh, there's a button that instead of like generating three, four intents, uh, there's a button that is uh, generate more intents and it will generate like five, 10, 10 new intents 
and also voice um, uh, flow is like a drag and drop blocks and then you link uh, all the blocks uh, in by creating flows basically uh, and um, the output that you are gonna say to your end user like for instance is when you interact with a chatbot instead of you instead of telling to the user every single time that you are uh, uh, interacting with the chatbot like just saying hi hello how are you and all that stuff you can instead of putting that you uh, can use generative ai open ai under the hood to have like a personalized uh, warm welcome message to the user you know like these kind of things like it's not like a competitor it's like a you know like a friend that is helping us to create more human reliable uh, conversations basically yeah so the last or well, two two conversations ago i had an ai um, conversational designer and they she works in a very similar uh, company doing very similar things and she mentioned that the manual work that you had before ChatGPT created something very specific. And now they need to have more guardrails in order to make sure that the answers are exactly what they need and it's not divergent from exactly what is needed. And I think that she even gave an example that one of their customers uh, is a car dealer or something like that. And the, and the answer, answer he got is uh, the end, end customer of, of uh, this car dealer is to go to the competitors. So the the, the chat is much more diverse and it's it has various answers. So how do you do these guardrails in order to make sure that they get exactly what they want and they don't get what they don't want? So uh, yeah, uh, that's something that we have seen. Uh, but instead of uh, car dealers with uh, shoes dealers, like we have seen something, yeah, like kind of different like you were requesting uh like shoes from one manufacturing and then the shoes that were recommended from from, from uh, were from another manufacturer so the most important thing here is uh, what i would say is like first uh, like adding uh, as much of guardrails uh, that you can add in the prompt um specifying like a really good context in terms of like you are this car dealer you cannot recommend cars from another you know uh this is the user input please generate an output that makes blah blah blah, blah. these are the the band uh words the you know like generating a really 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 good prompt and uh adding really good context um uh, of course like that is not only the, um, the the only thing that you can do aside from that uh, what i would suggest is to generate test uh, automatically automated test sorry uh, that you can run to check that everything is working fine because one important thing when you are working with llms is like for instance let's say that you at certain point you want to move from gpt 3.5 turbo to gpt uh, 4 or from uh, gemini 1 to gemini 1.5 uh, the most important thing that you have to know is the llm the output can change a lot so uh, not only having 
a really good prompt with, you know, like that, that you think that is working fine, like having those tests will help you as well. Because for instance, on our end, like on voice flow, when we change like a root prompt, which is like something that is uh, internal and, 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 and it's working fine, when we have changed the LLM from GPT 3.5 Turbo to GPT 4, everything was not working well. So having good prompt, adding good context, adding band phrases, adding band uh, words, uh, having really good uh, guardrails in your in your prompt, that's something that helps. But creating a test, that's something that, that helps as well. Yeah. Another thing that is important, I think what is very different in generative AI, is that in a regular code, you usually create a code, you publish it, and then it works. And it's not supposed to break other than if something else related to it is broken and then it doesn't work. But in the case of generative AI, everything could change all the time because the prompt or the request from the end users could change and the model could change and the uh, context could change. And then it's, it, you need to monitor it all the time, uh, which exactly. is not regular code. Exactly, exactly. And you have to, like, yeah, as you say, like, monitor everything because you don't know how the users are going to interact with your generative AI apps and you have to be really like you have to be aware of all the generated outputs to check okay here uh, is something wrong for instance like uh, last week uh, what happened with Air Canada that the generative uh, the, the chatbot that is using generative AI um that chatbot uh was specifying uh i think was uh an insurance that it does not exist so mm -hmm. uh, end users uh, that had that problem they just took a screenshot and they and they said to el canada uh, your chatbot is telling me that you have this insurance and this issue that i had it will be covered with a screenshot and now uh, the end user, uh, they won the, the lawsuit, so. Yeah, so this is something that we, we were thinking, we talked about security uh, risks. This is the, what we call hallucinations, when the AI is saying something very surely, and it looks like it's the truth, but it's making it up. Exactly. And, <laughs> and it happens. It happens and, and you you don't know exactly it's like a black box that you don't know exactly what would be generated exactly and that's a risk and that's why you need to monitor it all the time do you exactly. feel that some of the brand the brands are reluctant to use it because of these kinds of risks i mean they are trying to use in it uh, but i don't know because one thing that I've seen is there are a lot of brands, they have introduced it just because it's Gen AI and they want to add, you know, like the AI brand to their brand. Uh, and, and there are certain brands that have been added the AI capabilities without sense. Uh, but, you know, I mean, they are not hesitant because sometimes uh that depends on the use case if we are talking about 
uh, healthcare, insurances, banking, I would say yes, but uh, for the other brands, not so much. There, there was, you know, like uh, a year ago, uh, they were like quite hesitant, but uh, right now I think they are moving towards an AI, uh, you know, like even driven, I would say, but at least for those that are not managing a PI, a PI data or, you know, like health data or these kind of things or personal information data or banking data. But yeah, I think people or brands are using more and more generic capabilities, but the, my feeling is that not all of them are using it in a proper way or in a way that makes sense. Like is when the the mobile apps boom, like all the people were creating a mobile apps and at the end those mobile apps could be replaced by a website, you know, like the mobile app was not even needed. So you have to make sure that what you are adding to your business in terms of Gen AI or just AI makes sense before adding it. Yeah, I think that you're right. It's like a buzz that everybody's thinking about. It has lots of capacity that are underused, that uh, that are not really utilized well. And there are some capacities that everybody's using in some cases, and exactly. it's not justified. For example, it's like maybe it's better to just write some kind of search in your application or a button that will give you this result instead of developing a, a, an assistant a, that asks questions and you need to write a full sentence and you know what I'm looking for, just give it to me, it doesn't matter. And exactly. maybe the, in the back end, it's using generative AI in order to summarize, in order to analyze, in order to whatever. But in the end, I get an answer. It doesn't matter if I press a button or I wrote a, a sentence in the assistant. Exactly, exactly. You have to not to go crazy because there's, a ton of investment in these AI things. And it's like, does this make sense? You know, like you have to make a step back and see if that makes sense. Because at the end you could spend, or you can start like a project that will cost you, I don't know, like let's say $100,000 and then who is gonna use it? No one, you know? So you have to make sure that you are adding value. Yeah, I totally agree. The, what we talked about in, in the beginning of our talk about the cost and the pricing and the gap between the both of them. And what we're talking about is the value that they, it needs to be justifiable, that user users really need it. And it's the best way to solve what they're doing instead of doing it differently. And in some cases, the fact that you want to integrate the technology in order to say that you're innovative and you have like a a better a better than the comp competitors or something like that in some cases it's not justifiable enough from the business point of view uh, which is i think the most important part because technology is not built just for technology it's built for people to use and and for their own solving their own pains and and, and problems for sure exactly exactly yeah. so we're almost done i have many more questions but I'm going to ask you two more things. Um, what's your number one tip for developers today? So um, I would say I like, have an open mindset and be adaptable with all the changes that are coming. Uh, be up to date. That's 100%. Like 
nowadays, uh, and that's something that we have seen uh, with the, you know, this Gen AI boom, uh, like even in 2019, like, and today was like something different. So yeah, um, be really open and be adaptable. And because the field of AI is basically dynamic and technology is evolved quite rapidly. Continuous learning, curiosity uh, are essential, I think, for staying relevant and contributing to the advancement advancements in, in AI. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Xavi. It's always a pleasure talking to you and it's fun. But I think that uh, our listeners got lots of uh, tips and, and things that they need to go and work on, like homework from this uh, talk. So I, I thank you for that, for all the insights. And where, where could people hear more about what you're doing and contact you if you have any like questions that they have? Thanks for, for having me. Sure. And and like it's LinkedIn is the best way to, to contact you. This is what I added to the Yes, to the... LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, the there's my my username is there at Savidop. Uh, um, I have a YouTube channel as well where I oh, upload really? I didn't know that. How didn't I know that? <laughs> I mean you have a YouTube channel that is for developers? Yeah, uh, it's more for uh, my focus as well as uh, conversational AI and also using uh, Gen AI. So, yeah, like uh, you can find a lot of content related uh, there about conversational AI, chatbots, assistants, and all that stuff. So, wow. yeah, it reminds me that I think that we met each other as the, the assistant and experts, both of us, right? And yes. Yeah, and now we're, we're we both moved to the MLAI, like everybody else from this technology point of view. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Wow. So thank you again, Xavi. It's been a pleasure having you here. So thanks. What's and up, to pleasure? Sure. And to all of you change makers out there, thank you for joining us. And if you found this episode valuable, you're invited to share it. I'll see you next week with another innovative, insightful talk. See ya. Bye bye.